0: Psalm 71, these verses. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who who are to come. For your righteousness, O God, reaches the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like You, Father, as we honor You today, You are our Heavenly Father. On this Father's Day, no one deserves more praise and credit than do You. And Father, we would agree with the psalmist here who prays that he would be preserved and have the opportunity in the power of Your Spirit to declare Your strength to this generation Father that lives and certainly that should be true for us as well. Uh, We're here to declare your glory to this generation. And Father we want you to be magnified and manifested. And Lord it is part of our purpose here this morning that we might have fellowship, that we might uh, study around your word to be encouraged, that we might go forth and share what it is that you have done in our lives with others that they too might come to faith and have hope in this otherwise hopeless world in which we live. O Father, I pray that you will guide us in our study of your word this morning. I pray that as your word is proclaimed in the service and in the other classes of Sunday School this morning, that you will be present in a powerful way. And O Lord, we're so grateful that the work of God is advancing We know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. And so, Lord, we trust that this day many will be swept into your kingdom by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for what you do and for what you will continue to do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, in case you were uh, not with us last Sunday, uh, we are now in the uh, 22nd chapter of 1 Chronicles. Uh, last time you heard, we were in 2 Samuel, I know, and suddenly we're 22 chapters into First Chronicles. How did that happen? <laughs> well, it did happen rather suddenly. <laughs> what happened was, as you come to the end of Second Samuel, you'll find that it doesn't go straight to First Kings, that there's a gap in there. And that gap is filled in by events that you can read about described for us in 1 Chronicles. As I mentioned to, uh, to, the, to all of you last time, 1 uh, Chronicles is roughly parallel to 2 Samuel. And 2 Chronicles is parallel to the two books of the Kings. And I also, I think I emphasized last time that in the case of Chronicles, it, Chronicles is not just a dead repeat. Chronicles has a focus primarily on the spiritual events which transpire. And it also focuses in terms of 2nd Chronicles, as we'll see that as we go through the Kings, 2nd Chronicles tends to focus on just the kingdom of Judah in the north and just has a tangent reference to the kingdom of, I'm sorry, Judah in the south, uh, to the kingdom of Israel in the north. So it focuses on the line of David and uh, the work that God did there. So in 2 Chronicles... Uh, First Chronicles, I'm sorry. Chapter 1... Two, no, yeah, right. Chapter 22. I'd like to read at verse 14. Now behold, with great pains, I have prepared for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weight for they are great in quantity, also timber and stone I have prepared, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are more many workmen for you, stonecutters and masons of stone and carpenters, and all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold and the silver, the bronze and the iron, there is no limit. Arise and work, may the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon, saying, is not the Lord with your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord." Last Sunday, we we got into this passage, and I want to uh, just finish it so we can move into the next chapter, well, actually uh, into the 28th chapter of uh, 1 Chronicles. David is explaining here to, to Solomon that he has put out a great effort to collect these materials for the great temple. Now, as I mentioned last time, we have no real direct idea what the temple of Solomon looked like. And if you've looked through uh, commentaries that have pictures or diagrams in them or or, uh, Bible illustrated uh, books or so forth, you'll find all different kinds of representations of what the Temple of Solomon might have looked like. It definitely was a very magnificent building. And when you read about these materials that were collected, you know it had to be some kind of building. Because first of all, it's mentioned here 100,000 talents of gold. That's an immense amount of gold. Because a talent was not an ounce, a talent was not a pound. They have found stone talents that were used for measuring in those days. And those stone talents, depending on where you get them from, whether it's from Babylon or, or, you know, the Near East, someplace or other, range from 66 to 75 pounds. So you put the 66-pound stone in this side, and you put the gold in the other side to balance it out to come to a talent. 100,000 times 66 pounds. Let's use the lowest talent, the smallest talent. Convert that into modern value of gold and you're looking at $28 billion. That exceeds by far the entire amount of gold that came out of California during the gold rush, by 10 times. It's an immense amount of gold. And the reason that we're going to see that this amount of gold was needed, and actually some more will be added, is that everything was gold-plated. The whole building was gold-plated on the inside. And not just a little bit of leaf you know just kind of tacked on you scrape it off with your fingernail Not just a little gold paint but gold plating over the whole of the interior of the building 1 million talents of silver well silver of course is worth a whole lot less it's only about 450 an ounce a troy ounce today um, but to still that's you know most of us had that in our bank account we would uh, just see what you could do at the hospital over there <laughs> that's three and a half billion dollars I mean, that's almost enough money for the government to pay attention, you know. What? You're talking about pocket change already, you know. And, of course, enormous amounts of iron and bronze and timber, no lack of building materials, and skilled workmen to erect the structure. I mean, David had prepared everything. In this final section, these last uh, three verses of of chapter 22, We have a record of of David's challenge to the leaders of that country to support Solomon in this most important of all the building projects. No other building project would come close to the significance of this building project in the history of the nation of Israel. And he underscored the fact that God had enabled them to build this great empire. It was God who who pushed the borders to the Euphrates and down to the brook of Egypt. It was God who enabled them to conquer all of those countries to the east of the Jordan River. You know, the Amorites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Moabites and all of those. Since God had done this, should they not set their hearts on building something as a monument, as a statement of thanks to God for what he has done? And therefore, since they've been giving the, given the peace and prosperity they need and all of this wealth Certainly a structure should be elevated, a great sanctuary to the glory and to the honor of God. The tabernacle, that tent that was built under the auspices of Moses and Aaron hundreds of years before, was at that moment at Gibeon, which is just by road about nine miles north of Jerusalem. That's where the tabernacle was. The ark was not in the tabernacle. The ark was in a tent at Jerusalem David had erected for the ark. So the tabernacle is one place. The ark of the covenant is a different place. And as we're going to see when we get into 1 Kings, there there were two bronze altars. David had apparently made one that was where the ark and there still was the old one at at the tabernacle. So, So things have become a little bit out of sync from what the original plan had been. And so it's important, David says, to build a temple, a great sanctuary, which will be the permanent center of the worship of Yahweh amongst the nation of Israel for the remaining time that God gave to the nation. It was to be a magnificent structure to house the Ark of the Covenant, which was already in Jerusalem at that particular time. Now, think about it. David is in his last has received the challenge and, and has all the materials and everything is ready. All, it, it's almost like Solomon, all you have to do is say, go, and it will start to be constructed. Certainly David was given peace by that knowledge. Chapters 23 through 27 of 1 uh, Chronicles. Describes David's organization of the empire. So not only has he gotten all this material prepared for the temple, charged Solomon for the construction of the temple, prepared the workmen to do the construction of the temple, but now he is organizing the empire completely. From the ground up, he's putting everything into place so that literally Solomon has a turnkey empire. Just walk in and it's all humming and all he has to do is make sure it keeps humming. He doesn't have to to organize or do any of the work that David has done to make it happen. So the idea was that Solomon's reign would truly be a reign of peace and that he could focus his attention on the construction of the temple. Now much of the space in these chapters is given particularly uh, from 23 through most of 26 to the organization or I should say the reorganization of the levites now we'll be talking more about the levites and, and you know who they were the descendants of of the levi son of jacob whom had been challenged to be the to provide the priesthood and and to be the ones who took care of the tabernacle and all of its Work. So they're being organized so that they will be able to be a part of this construction of this great temple and carry on the service of it, because it's going to require a lot more manpower than did the tabernacle, because it's going to be a lot larger structure, and the number of people who are going to be blessed by it are going to be is already much larger at this particular time. The last few verses of chapter twenty-six and all of chapter twenty-seven is given over to civil and military administration. Establishing how the government's going to operate and how the military's going to operate so that all of this will be together. So let's turn to the 28th chapter of 1st Chronicles. Just think, if we'd been operating like this, we'd be second time through the Bible by now, you know. (laughs) The first 10 verses of the 28th uh, chapter we find uh, that David has, has brought the leadership of Israel together, the civil authorities, the military authorities, the spiritual authorities. And he challenges them, and he gives them the same uh, speech, basically, that he had given to Solomon, which we read last week in the 22nd chapter, so we won't repeat it. So let's read at verse 11. First Chronicles 28, verse 11. Then David gave his son Solomon the plan of the porch of the temple its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, the room for the mercy seat and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord and for all the surrounding rooms, for the storehouses of the house of the Lord and for the storehouses of the dedicated things. Also, for the divisions of the priests and the Levites and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, for all the utensils of the service in the house of the Lord, for the golden utensils, the weight of gold for all the utensils for every kind of service, For the silver utensils, the weight of silver for all utensils of every kind of service and the weight of gold for the golden lampstands and their golden lamps and the weight of each lampstand and its lamps and the weight of silver for the silver lampstands with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand And the gold by weight for the tables of showbread for each table, the silver for the silver tables, and the forks and the basins and the pitchers of pure gold, and for the golden bowls with the weight for each bowl, and the silver bowls with the weight for each bowl, for the altar of incense refined gold by weight, and the gold for the model of the chariot, even the cherubim that spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, David said... The Lord may me understand in writing by His hand upon me all the details of this pattern. Then David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail nor forsake you until all the work for this service of the house of the Lord is finished. Now behold, there are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God and for every willing man of any skill will be with you in all the work for all kinds of service the officials also and all the people will entirely be at your command if the wording there if you have the uh, new american standard which i have 1995 edition if it sounds a little awkward you have to remember that the new american standard is more literal than some of the others uh, the new International, for example, is more free with the Hebrew and trying to make it a little bit more into the English. So sometimes it's a little awkward reading along there, but at least you're getting more or less the literalist translation of the, of the Hebrew there. Can you imagine the dramatic moment we're looking at here? The emotion that flowed through David. Now remember, David is probably 9 to 70 which to me doesn't seem so old anymore, but and for many of you, not old at all, some of you. Anyway, the emotion that flowed through David at this moment that he is handing over the blueprints of the temple to his son, Solomon. Now, remember, David has a lot of sons. This is the one that's been selected, and we'll talk about how that worked out here. And not only is it the temple, but you, you heard what was being read there, right? The storerooms and the porches and the inner rooms and all these other rooms are mentioned. Well, we're not talking about a simple little tent like the tabernacle was. Just a simple tent that was broken off into two main pieces, the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, with the courtyard out around. We're now talking about a much larger and more complex structure. It still is going to have the inner room of the Holy of Holies, but the whole complex is much larger and literally more complex than the tabernacle had ever been. And, and so here are the blueprints, Solomon, for all of these buildings which are to be raised and all of the implements which were to be used in the divine worship with the actual weight of gold or silver of each implement given there. I mean, it's spelled out. You know, this spoon is to have, you know, X number of ounces, we would put it in our term, ounces, of gold in it. And these were solid. I mean, these bowls, these implements, were made out of solid gold and solid silver. They weren't plated. It appears that all of the implements that had been made for the tabernacle are being replaced with the exception of one, the Ark of the Covenant. All the others are being replaced, it appears, from this description here. It could be that many of the implements that had been a part of the tabernacle were no longer there, because what we're going to, what we're also going to be talking about, uh, I'm getting mixed up because I'm well into first kings in my study already, but when the Philistines attacked Shiloh, it's very possible that they carried off much of what had been a part of the uh, tabernacle uh, implements. Uh, of course, the ark had been carried off as a result of battle, but They later were told, attack Shiloh. And uh, that's why the tabernacle was no longer at Shiloh. It was other places. They ended up at Gibeon. And so many of the implements had probably already been lost. What is interesting here is verse 18. Sounds a little bit strange. You read it. It says, For the altar of incense refined gold by weight, and the gold for the model of the chariot, even the cherubim that spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Chariot? Now we have a holy chariot. (laughs) Well, let me read uh, to you the words of commentator J. Barton Payne as he speaks about this 18th verse. He says, Since the Lord could poetically be said to ride on cherubim as on a chariot, they are here designated as the chariot. So the reference to the chariot is a reference to the cherubim. The chronicler's reference is probably not to the small golden cherubim that form part of the ark's holy cover, which had been made long before, but rather to those larger wooden but gold-plated cherub angels of the inner temple, which were to shelter the ark as a whole. Let me read to you related to that from 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse at, reading at verse 10. 2 Chronicles 3, at verse 10. Then he made two sculptured cherubim in the room of the Holy of Holies and overlaid them with gold. The wingspan of the cherubim was twenty cubits. The wing of the one of five cubits... touched the wall of the house and its other wing of five cubits touched the wing of the other cherub. And the wing of the other cherub of five cubits touched the wall of the house, and its other wing of five cubits was attached to the wing of the first cherub. And the wings of these cherubim extended twenty cubits... And they stood on their feet facing the main room. So the picture seems to be that in the, in the uh, Holy of Holies, you had the Ark of the Covenant there, and over the Ark of the Covenant, you had these two very large cherubim created, made out of wood but plated in gold, so that their wings came together over the top of the Ark, and then two other wings went out and touched the walls for a span of 20 cubits, which minimally is 30 feet. Using the smallest cubit we know of, that's 30 feet. And if you use a larger qu- cubit, which sometimes is thought to have been used, it would even be, of course, larger, maybe 40 feet. So here you have the, the ark with its cherubim on top of it, and under, o- over it are these much larger cherubim, and that's what is being referred to here in the 18th verse of uh, this passage that we just read in the 28th chapter. That appears to be what is uh, referred to there. Now, what is very interesting here is that it's explicit that this blueprint was not the product of David's mind, nor of that of his chief architect, whoever that might have been. Verse 19 of this passage plainly tells us that the Lord gave David this blueprint by his own hand. God gave David the plan. So what we have here is a statement that is just like the passages that we know that tell us that all Scripture is inspired by God. So this blueprint was given by the hand of God, by divine revelation. That's important to know that David didn't just sit down and think, oh, you know, I'd like the building to look like this and start sketching it out, you know. It was God's design. Just as the tabernacle had been God's design, so the temple was God's design and all the implements that were in it. So David now exhorts Solomon, here are the blueprints, and he says to Solomon, be strong and courageous because the Lord will be with you without fail to see the project to completion. Do we believe that? Should Solomon have believed that? Will the Lord be with us to complete the project without fail, whatever the project is he has given to us to do? Well, that was David's promise to Solomon. And I think what it it says to us is this is the character of God. God will, without fail, carry us through to the completion of our project, whatever that might be, his project, of course, through us. He would not have to do it by himself either. Because David had recruited the workers, the supervisors, the skilled workmen, everyone that was going to be needed. Why did he do that? Because the Lord inspired him to do that. The Lord provides us with those who need to stand alongside us in the work that he has called us to do. As we move, let's look on in the 29th chapter of 1 Chronicles. Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now with all my ability I've provided for the house of my God, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of of iron. Wood for the things of wood, onyx stone, inlaid stones, stones of antinomy, stones of various colors and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Moreover in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God over and above all that I've already provided for the temple, namely 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of silver to overlay the walls of the buildings, of gold for the things of gold, of silver for the things of silver. That is for all the work done by the craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the rulers of the fathers' households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds with the overseers over the king's work offered willingly And for the service of the house of God, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 darks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver and 18,000 talents of brass and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever possesses precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they had made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, And King David also rejoiced greatly. God had said to David, you will not build the temple because you're a man of blood. But God used David to build the empire so that then he could bring peace and then raise up a man whose name means peace, man of peace, Solomon, to do the building of the temple. But he allowed David to collect all the materials. And I think David did it with great gusto. David's address to the national and tribal leaders assembled in Jerusalem. We're, we're kind of in the middle of it here. It begins clear back in the first verse of the 28th chapter, and it goes through to the 19th verse of this chapter. So it's a long address that David gave to those. You could just hear him standing there, probably in a, maybe, maybe in a little bit enfeebled voice. I don't know. You know, David may have still been fairly strong in his latter years, speaking out to this people with great emotion. In the first verse of this 29th chapter, David emphasizes that Solomon's succession to the throne is not my doing, it's God's doing. This disclaimer was necessary for the very obvious reason that Solomon was not the logical choice to replace David. If you looked at it from a human point of view, why would you choose Solomon? You wouldn't choose Solomon. The problem was he was the 10th son in birth order. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied very many dynasties in history, but the 10th son has no hope at all for the crown, you know. Because even though throughout history, older brothers had a tendency to die, (laughs) nine of them before you? Not terribly likely. Now, some of his older brothers were dead. Some had died, we, you know, we, we assume Kiliab had died, we're not told, but he just seems to have. And we know that Ammon was killed, and Absalom was killed, and we're going to read about Adonijah when we get into the, in the first chapter of uh, 1 of Kings. He is, he is actually the logical choice. Adonijah is the fourth son, he's the, only, he's the oldest surviving son, he's handsome, he's uh, you know, got all this enthusiasm and a lot of support, and we're going to see there's actually an attempt to put him on the throne. And, and so Solomon is not the logical person to, to inherit the throne. And David recognizes this, and, and he admits that Solomon is young and inexperienced. Now, of course, his inexperience is partly David's fault. David has a lot of faults, by the way, as we have seen all along. Uh, and yet, in spite of all of his faults, God loved David. And that should be a great encouragement to all of us. (laughs) Being the tenth son, what chance did he have? I mean, the guy was not even 30. And, you know, he had no opportunity to experience leadership because all these older brothers were doing the the duties that the king needed of his sons. And and Solomon was just a little kid. Of course, David understood that, you know, because he was the trailer of, of eight brothers. And remember, when when David was chosen and Samuel went through the first seven, they almost forgot they had a younger brother. He's just a kid keeping the sheep. What's he got to do with anything, you know? And it's almost the vision you get here of of Solomon. You'd think Solomon has another strike against him. He's the son of Bathsheba, you know, with whom David had had committed adultery. And and you wouldn't think, even though this wasn't the eldest son because he died, you, you, you know, you, you wouldn't logically think <laughs> that God would choose the man of peace from that, but what does it tell us? One of the things that always has bothered me intensely down through history, study of history, is the way people have treated illegitimate kids. You know, the word bastard and, and all of these other kind of terms come up and become derogatory terms. You blame the illegitimate child for his illegitimacy, which is ridiculous. The kid had nothing to do with it. And it's unfairness just, just, is all painted all through history, you know. If you want history to be fair, don't read it. (laughs) Because it isn't. It's full of unfairness. And, and it seems like so much of the time the evil guy wins. Well, we know not in the long run he doesn't. But, you know, it, it just, it just is something that is, is real disturbing. If you have a sense of uh, right, what what ought to be right, you want to go back and rewrite history. Some people do that, you know, like the Soviets rewrote Russian history, and you wouldn't even recognize it uh, when they were done. David is, of course, pleading with the leadership of the nation to give Solomon all the support that he needs here so that they could complete the most important project in the history of their country, the Great Temple of Yahweh. And David emphasized both that this is going to be a monumental task. This isn't something you guys are going to throw up in six months. It's going to take a long time and a lot of hard work to build this building. And on top of that, it isn't being built for your benefit anyway. It's for the Lord. And only as a tangent result, you know, a blessing to the people. I think of, for example, the great cathedral at Cologne. I don't know how many of you have seen that cathedral. It's the largest Gothic cathedral in the world. And it took 600 years to complete that building. Now true for a period of time in the, about halfway through construction, nothing was done for long periods of time. But, but still, 600 years from the time you lay, dig the foundation until the last stones are in place? Now, that's a long time. Now, it didn't take 600 years to build the Temple of Solomon, fortunately. But it was a structure on that magnitude, I believe. Maybe not quite as big, but at least a, a big project. In verse 2 of this passage, we have a list of all the material that David had collected. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, various kinds of stone, such as onyx. And onyx is normally, what color? Black. Black can be grays and so forth, but normally normally black. Antimony, which is, or antimony, however you want to say it, which is usually a lustrous white. Colored stones, which probably means uh, some form of jasper. And precious stones, which in those days, in that part of the world, probably largely meant lapis and turquoise. These are precious minerals that have been mined in that part of the world for a long time. That part of the world does not mine Diamonds and rubies and emeralds and sapphires and those kinds of things. They come from other parts of uh, particularly uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, And alabaster. Alabaster is very plentiful over there. And and alabaster is a very, very, can be a very beautiful, translucent, white, cream, tan-colored material and forms, you know, very beautiful structures. As a public profession of his commitment to the house of the Lord... David proclaimed that from his own wealth, I am in addition going to give 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver, which is just a piece of change, about $900 million worth of gold and $25 million worth of silver. Not bad for somebody who had just been a shepherd throwing rocks at uh, lions and tigers. Well, no tigers, but lions and bears uh, when he was a kid. Uh, Talk about rags to riches. Hmm. But why is David doing this? You know, the scripture says, let your left hand not, you know, not know what your right hand's doing. So why is David proclaiming to the whole audience what he is doing? I think so the family won't start dividing up the spoils when he's gone. <laughs> I didn't know you were a lawyer. <laughs> that could very well be, actually. <laughs> but part of the reasons he's proclaiming it here, I think, is as a challenge. He's saying to the leaders, this is what I'm doing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, guys? He says, who then is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord this day? In other words, who will follow my example and give generously to the Lord God? That was a, that was a challenge. Let me clue you. It hit those people. And when I, when I read this, it reminded me of another sermon preached by a, a person you probably haven't heard preach. Uh, this is Pope Urban II, who lived in the 11th century. Pope Urban, Urban II, at a place called Clermont, which is in south-central France, uh, preached a sermon in the year 1095. He had gotten word from the emperor of of the Byzantine Empire that the Turks are about ready to overrun Christendom and so the Pope preached a crusade. And he went to this, this Clermont area is in a field. And he preached a sermon in which he called for those who were willing to take up the cross and go rescue the Holy Land from the infidel. And it, those who were there said that the dukes, the counts, the knights rose as if they were one man to their feet and shouted, God wills it, we will go. Talk about an inspiring sermon. You get everybody to your feet saying, yeah, we're going to go do it. And they did. They took up the cross, literally, uh, well, figuratively, uh, on their design, on their tunic, and uh, went on a crusade. So what we have here are the clan chiefs, the tribal princes, the military leaders, the government officials of Israel, all giving generously and enthusiastically to the temple. And let me just quickly finish this. Well, I won't finish it, but get down to the end of these verses here. They gave 5,000 talents of, they, they collected 5,000 talents of gold plus 10 darics of gold. And we said, what? 10 darics. Well, you know, you think about that word just for a moment and it sounds Persian, doesn't it? That's pretty interesting since there are no Persians at this particular uh, time. But the daric was a Persian coin. It was a Persian coin that weighed about four and a half ounces. And so what we're talking about is, rather than using whatever unit it was at the time, they're using the, time, the unit at the time that the, that the compilers put first Chronicles together. Or, the Chronicles. You know, Chronicles were written by the various prophets, and somebody later put them all together in one scroll called the Chronicles. And this happened during the Persian period. And so when they, translated, or when they copied this, they simply used the current term for that amount of weight, the Daric. And so it shows up here, wouldn't have shown up in the original wording of the prophet. So we're talking about another $1.5 billion worth of gold and $35 million worth of silver, 660 tons of brass and 3,300 tons of iron. All this metal plus unspecified precious stones. And they were put under the oversight of one guy. Jehiel, whose name means may God live, the Gershonite. Now, the tribe of Levi had been chosen as the priestly tribe. It had been broken out into the three uh, three sons of Levi, who were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And so they became the three divisions of the Levites. And the Gershonites, one of their jobs was to take care of the treasury, the, the money aspect of it. And this particular family of the same name as this guy, Jehiel, or the Jeheli family, was particularly responsible for the contributions to the tabernacle and hence now to the temple. And so he has the awesome responsibility of overlooking this enormous amount of gold. Fortunately, they're not migrating anymore. Can you imagine what it'd been like migrating and carrying all these tons and tons of gold and silver and iron and brass around? That would have been a pain, to say the least. And anyway, he has to oversee all of this. And the last verse that we read, verse nine, uh, describes the great joy these elders ha- experienced when they gave wholeheartedly from their resources to the temple and it reminds us of uh, Second Corinthians which says God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what these men were. Okay, we'll have to uh, stop at that point.